You are listening to ReachMD. The following interview was recorded live at the Omnia Education Activity entitled Women's Health Annual Visit. Your host is Dr. Andrea Singer, Associate Professor of Medicine and Obstetrics and Gynecology at Georgetown University Medical Center. Dr. Singer is discussing the topic of female sexual dysfunction with Dr. Susan Kellogg-Spat, Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Drexel University College of Medicine. We're talking with Dr. Susan Kellogg-Spat about female sexual dysfunction. Susan, hypoactive sexual desire disorder is a very real problem, as we know, but it doesn't always get a lot of attention. What are your thoughts about this? You know, part of the reason it doesn't get a lot of attention is that it goes undetected in many, many women. Women uh, feel uh, hesitant to bring it up sometimes. They are afraid they're going to either embarrass their health care provider or perhaps they themselves are embarrassed and don't have the words to use to bring it up. So the first thing that we really need to do to tackle this problem and give the women the health care they deserve is to ask women if they have any alterations in their sexual desire that is concerning or distressing them. Another issue might be that right now there aren't any FDA-approved treatments for sexual desire disorder, but clearly starting the conversation is the best way to start to address the issue, and there are many, many well-qualified sexual therapists and psychologists that can begin to help women with the biopsychosocial piece of hypoactive sexual desire disorder. DSM-5 describes some new diagnostic categories and nomenclature, if you will, in terms of sexual disorders for women. Can you go over some of the changes, what these new categories are, and whether or not you think that will affect clinical practice? Um, actually, one of the most interesting uh, changes in the DSM that has come about with reference to desire specifically is that there has been a combination of desire disorders and arousal disorders, such that there are six criteria and three of them must be met in order to be diagnosed with the combined female sexual interest and arousal disorder. It really opens up the opportunity um, to help women with a myriad of complaints. They're not all identical, obviously. Perfect. So hopefully that will allow us to recognize more people and uh, start to, to discuss this in the offices. Um, what are some of the common medical problems or medications that you see associated with sexual disorders? Actually, any of the psychotropic medications can have a sexual sequelae, um, SSRIs, um, and other antidepressants, tricyclics, pain medications, um, and cardioactive drugs as well. Um, there are just a number of them. Even things as simple as an antihistamine or anticholinergic can have drying um, effects and decrease arousal. So many, many, many drugs. It's important for women to ask their health care providers if they're on anything that might have a sexual sequelae. And clearly care, important for us to ask what people may be taking, including not only prescription medications, but also over-the-counter medications. Absolutely. We talked about the fact that patients are reluctant sometimes to bring these issues to our attention, and we don't always ask. You've discussed that patients are often interrupted when they do ask physicians questions. Um, what are your recommendations for improving the way we take histories, for obtaining the pertinent information that we need to, to be able to help women, and how that translates into counseling? You know, when it comes to asking sexual health questions, oftentimes healthcare providers make it much more difficult than it really needs to be. To incorporate it into the review of systems, perhaps, between the questions about urinary incontinence, urgency, frequency, loss of 
urine with cough or sneeze, and then just go right into, do you have any questions or concerns about your sexual health that we could talk about today? Or tell me about any questions or concerns you have about your sexual health, and then after that's over, you could go into the issues of uh, the GI complaints. When it's in the review of systems in a very natural place in the genitals, the patient doesn't feel awkward, nor does the provider. The other thing I'd like to point out is keeping the questions open-ended, to say, tell me about questions or concerns uh, regarding your sexual health, or I hear questions or concerns about sexual health in most of my patients. Do you have any you'd like to talk about today? Things that just open up the arena. And then after it's asked, the question is asked, please be quiet. Use silence because patients have a minute to think about it and then they often will be so happy they're asked and they'll start to tell you their story. And during the story, it's really important just to say things like, tell me more or that's so interesting, but rather than interrupt them. I think that's an excellent point. We often get uncomfortable with silence, but it can really be our friend in this setting and really help us take care of our patients. We know that there are currently no FDA-approved medications for the treatment of hypoactive sexual desire disorder, per se. Can you talk about approaches to treating women and anything that might be coming down the pike? Sure. Well, uh, it's very important, again, in keeping with the biopsychosocial model that women be availed of sexual counseling, psychotherapy as necessary, sex therapy, couples counseling, things like that. Very important. Um, on uh, over-the-counter, there are things like vaginal moisturizers and lubricants that are so important, and very few healthcare providers really understand the difference, or they assume that all patients already understand the difference of what to buy when they get to Walgreens or CVS. And you know what? They don't. So those types of things need to be discussed. Coming down the pike, we're really excited about some centrally acting agents that'll help, actually non-hormonal too, that'll help women to, um, to really, it'll balance those neurotransmitters in the brain so that the women feel um, less stressed, but actually more engaged in sexual behavior, present in the moment and really feeling pleasure. Hopefully something to look forward to. Not everyone may be comfortable ultimately with either a full discussion or feeling as though they can treat a woman. And so referral can be a very important means uh, for helping her get the care that she needs. When, how, and to whom should one refer? Well, um, first of all, let me reiterate that I think screening is appropriate for the, at the level of the PCP, the OBGYN, urologist. Screening is really, really important. And there's actually screening tools in addition to open-ended questions that can just open the dialogue, open the door. If that provider would then like to refer elsewhere for specialty care, they can um, refer to sex therapy through ASECT or ISHWISH, the organizations that they can go online and find, find a provider. They could refer to sex medicine specialists, sexual medicine specialists. There are many across the United States also able to be identified through the ISHWISH website. So I'll just repeat that. It's isswsh.org. Find a provider. Um, also, if for sexual pain disorders, it's very important to refer for, for physical therapy evaluation, particularly if the muscles are taut, tense, and painful, uh, pelvic floor muscles. And so one could go to the APTA website, the American Physical Therapy Association.org, also find a provider. You mentioned earlier that we are now making less of a distinction between desired disorders and arousal disorders, and often there is much overlap. Is there anything new 
that's available in terms of treating vaginal dryness, dyspareunia, so vaginal pain with intercourse, um, perhaps in the setting of postmenopausal women or in any other realm. Actually, there is a, a new FDA-approved medication. It's a CIRM called Osfina. It is a selective estrogen receptor modulator that is one of the very first CIRMs that's ever had the indication for postmenopausal dyspareunia. It's a very exciting time. It will be addressing the estrogen receptors in the vulva, vagina, clitoris, labia, and actually changes I've, that I've seen in my patients have been as early as four weeks and certainly by 12 weeks after initiation of the medication. So that is FDA approved for postmenopausal dyspareunia. Any last messages or important take-home messages that you'd like the audience to hear? There has never been a better time to be involved in sexual medicine. Finally, we're seeing the movement from the women themselves saying we want and need medication to help us. We're seeing the responsiveness from the American FDA and the pharmaceutical industries. And we're seeing the interest on the part of the healthcare providers. It's all coming together. This is a time for true excellence in sexual health for women. Great. Thank you so much for spending time. You've been listening to ReachMD. If you missed any part of this discussion, you can download the podcast at ReachMD.com. And for more information about Omnia Education activities, please visit OmniaEducation.com. Thank you for listening.